Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime podcast. I am Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Instagram @desicrime and follow, like our posts and share us on your stories. Thank you so much for all of the love you show us on social media. You know that feeling of being young and experiencing your first love? Heightened emotions, the constant need to see them, yet feeling your heart flutter when you do, that inability to go to sleep or eat properly, the hiding from your parents, the touching of your hands for the first time, the kissing for the first time, you get the picture. I know a lot of you listening will relate. There are a few experiences as universal as your first love. But what happens when your first love disappears and suddenly the world turns to look at you wondering whether or not you could have possibly made them vanish what happens then when your first love reappears but not alive anymore and suddenly the world turns to look at you wondering if you could be a cold blooded murderer This is the story of one such young love story that captured the imagination of a nation. This is the story of Haemin Lee and Adnan Said. Sure, not many listeners know this about me, but it's a question we often get, especially I get this directed towards me, which is, "Aryan, what's your favorite true crime podcast?" Uh, but few of you know that I am not a true crime consumer. You, on the other hand, <laughs> yeah. Shwara, are the resident I'm true crazy. crime regurgitator. Yeah, I mean, yep. psychopathic by all measures <laughs> out there. No, but <laughs> um, I, I don't. listen to true crime podcasts and i don't have a history of listening to them but regardless the one true crime podcast whether or not you're a listener that you've heard of is serial and this was one of the yep. first true crime podcasts if not the first true crime podcast which focused on the very case that you have for us today the case of adnan said and now i'm not going to you know play foolish and act as if you know um i don't know anything about this case but literally all i know is that it's a controversial case i don't know the details i don't even know mm-hmm. what transpired but i do know that his lawyer is a listener of our show ravia choudhry so that's all i yep. know about this and you know i'm that's i'm <laughs> you know that's my disclaimer from the get go no serial was the first podcast and the first true crime podcast i ever heard wow. Sarah Koenig's investigative journalism in the show that this was back in 2014 like nobody was listening to podcasts if you think they're new now imagine 2014 almost a decade yeah, earlier yeah uh, so yeah that was a tipping point for me and there are few cases that give me sleepless nights are and i think all of our listeners know that one of them is the honeymoon murder and Annie Devani 
But the second case that gives me sleepless nights is the case of Adnan Saeed. And if I got introduced to Annie Devani, for example, a year ago, I've had Adnan's case in the back of my mind since Serial in 2014. So yeah, I had to bring this case to you all. I had to share my own thoughts on it with you and kind of deconstruct this incredibly complex case with so much information out there. All right, Ishwarya, take us through the fabric of space-time wherever you're taking us and whenever you're taking <laughs> us. So before we start the case for today, I want to give a shout out to our primary source for this episode, the HBO documentary titled The Case Against Adnan. If this episode gives you sleepless nights like it does me, go watch either this series or the podcast serial for yourself. All of them available online. Now, to begin this story, we're going back to the year 1999 to Baltimore County in the state of Maryland, the third most populated county in the US. I've been to Maryland and it's a beautiful scenic state with an incredibly diverse population. It was no different in 1999. To be specific though, we're beginning this case inside the Baltimore police station on the 28th of February 1999 where the police were interrogating an 18-year-old Pakistani-American boy named Adnan Masood Said. The problem was that Adnan didn't remember. The police kept asking him where he was for 21 minutes after school six weeks ago. But Adnan couldn't remember. It was just 21 minutes after all. Aran, do you remember where you were for a random 21-minute time span on a day exactly six weeks ago? Ishwara, I actually am in the practice of um, writing down everything I mm. eat. Okay, so it's a habit I'm trying to inculcate. It really helped me through sort of my fitness journey. But the point is, just write down whatever you eat. Now, I've gotten really bad at this. So what I try to do is, you know, at the as the week nears its end, I'm trying to think about what I ate yesterday and the day before forget six days ago or six weeks ago. I can't recall the food I ate a day ago. So com- <laughs> yeah. th- guessing where I was at a specific time six weeks ago, that's mm-hmm. completely out of the picture. I, I, it's not possible. And that is most people's answer. That's my answer too. Six weeks ago, there's no way in hell. You could have a gun to my head and I would not remember where I was, yeah. what I was doing for 21 minutes, six weeks ago. But to you and I, a day six weeks ago must have been a normal day. If some of you listening are students, you'd say you were probably in school in one of your classes. Maybe you were on a vacation. But what exactly were you doing for those 21 minutes on your vacation? You probably wouldn't remember. But to Adnan, that day six weeks ago, the 13th of January 1999, was not an ordinary day. It was the day his ex-girlfriend, an 18-year-old girl named Heyman Lee, disappeared. Make no mistake, the police weren't interrogating Adnan only because he was the now-missing girl's ex-boyfriend. They had reasons to call him in. You see, a friend very close to Adnan had chosen to come forward to claim that he knew that Adnan had killed Hay. Not only that, but this witness, Adnan's friend, also claimed that he helped Adnan bury his body. As of last year, 2022, Adnan was 40 years old and had spent more than half his life in prison for a murder he still to this day claims he did not commit. So 
who is this witness who is adnan who is he and more importantly did he do it if he didn't do it who did it to answer all of those questions and raise many more let's go back to where this all began in a high school in baltimore county in the year 1998 in baltimore county was woodlawn high school which was a magnet school and also where our episode's love story began now magnet schools in the us are schools that attract students based on specific criteria that the students are all incredibly academically gifted Honor roll students, high test scorers, national test champions—that is the target group for these schools. Ah, uh, you mean Desi kids and Asian kids, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. And interestingly, that is the demography for this case too. Yeah. Oh shoot! I, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Well, oops, yep. I guess. <laughs> Woodlawn High School was an incredibly diverse school and it was a magnet school. And in 1998, 18-year-old Adnan Masood Saeed and 18-year-old Hamin Lee's story began in the school. Adnan was your school's popular guy. Football player, homecoming king, training as a paramedic, track runner and good-looking. This is what I noticed immediately when I first saw his pictures from the year 1998. Adnan was good-looking. tall lean with a bit of a mustache and hair done up like he was from out of a pantene commercial he was beautiful too with long flowing hair and athletic body and incredible sense of fashion and resounding confidence in front of a camera she was a strong young woman sure of herself her best friends describe her as goofy and her teachers call her dedicated They say whether it be her academics or her love for field hockey and lacrosse, if he did something, she did it with her whole heart. Both of these kids were the ideal children to their very conservative immigrant parents, or so their parents thought. You see, Adnan's parents had migrated from Pakistan <laughs> and moved to the United States where they gave birth to their three sons, Adnan, Tanvir, and Yusuf. He and her younger brother, Young Lee, were born in South Korea, but their mother had chosen to move to the US to live with her parents, meaning his grandparents. So these were conservative immigrant families just trying to live simple, meaningful lives while also trying to shield their kids from becoming too Americanized. They wanted to protect their roots and culture through their children. So what that meant was drinking was a big no adnan's parents would have killed him if they found out how frequently he smoked weed he lived in a house with nosy grandparents overprotective uncles and a strict mother going to a high school dance where boys and girls danced together was wild to them but most importantly dating was the biggest no especially to adnan But realistically has that ever stopped any 18-year-old from dating? No amount of strict parents can <laughs> ever get those hormones in check. True. And it didn't stop Adnan and Hay either. Through seeing each other in the school hallways, attending the same classes and sharing common friends, Adnan fell for Hay and Hay for Adnan. If you go over Hay's personal diary, which by the way is available online, you'll see into the mind of a teenage girl much like a lot of us had once been. You could see how much she really liked him. She rarely ever called him by his name, only referring to him as my baby. She described him as sweet, courteous, chivalrous and charming. Adnan had asked Hay to the homecoming dance without telling his parents of course, and Hay was over the moon. 
at the dance adnan was crowned homecoming king with a different girl but instead of dancing with this girl as was customary he came back to hay and danced the night away with her that is too adorable ashwarya that is just so too cute. damn adorable i know <laughs> there are pages from hay's diary where the entire sheet is just filled with the word adnan and adnan was crazy about her too If she was ever at a sleepover with her friends he would stop by just to kiss her good night. His diary reads, quote, "Adnan is the sweetest guy. I love him to death." Guess what he did? He was supposed to go to his mentor right after third period. Here's what he did instead. He went out and picked up a single rose for me and gave it to me in physics in the middle of the class. Everyone was staring. All I could do was just look surprised and just kiss him in the middle of class. All day I walked around with my rose. I can't believe he did it. It's so sweet. Now how can I not love a guy like this? End quote. Ashara, I'm in love. I'm in love with their love. Yeah. It's really cute. Yeah, yeah. These diary entries just go on and on giving us an insight into a frankly adorable and new love. Both of their friends confirmed too the two couldn't stay away from each other. But slowly if you keep reading his diary you'll notice the tone of her entries change. From gushing over the new mushy feelings of love the complexities of their home lives clearly were starting to get in the way. He talks about how her grandparents replaced their home's cordless phone with a corded phone, making it hard for her to talk to Adnan in private. Adnan's parents showed up at his prom just to confirm whether or not he was dating someone because they were starting to get suspicious, deeply embarrassing Adnan and scaring her. Her diary entry from the 11th of May 1998 reads, "Quote, okay, I'll make this brief because I have to do my English. I'll talk about my baby." I don't know what's going to happen with us especially with people against us i.e. his mother but believe it or not our love gets stronger and stronger every day i keep on loving him more and more end quote a different diary entry from a few days later says quote do i dare to pull him away from his religion miss savik was all up in my face about it she said things like well adnan used to be so religious last year this year he's so loose like i changed him Actually, I did, and I don't want to pull him away from who he is. End quote. Should have missed Savik being Adnan's mother. No, that's not Adnan's mother. I don't know who he is referring to in this text. Actually. Hmm. Okay. But it's clear from these diary entries that their relationship was getting complicated. Their lives together were blissful and beautiful and fun, but at the end of the day, they both had to return back to strict homes to parents they disagreed with, but still did love. It was clearly hard for them. Eventually, in quintessential young couple fashion, the two broke up after months of dating. Her diary says, quote, "I did it. Me and Adnan are officially on a timeout. I don't know what's going to happen with us." End quote. After this timeout, though, just a month later, the two got back together again. But then they broke up again. Then they got back together again, and then they broke up again. He was starting to feel like she was losing herself between all of the lying and her family and the all-consuming love. She says in her diary, "Where have I been these last 5 months?" This time on their third breakup, the two ended the relationship for good. 
even their friends realized that this last breakup was different. It felt more permanent and it seemed like the two were making efforts to actually move on from each other for the very first time. In fact, slowly, he actually developed feelings for someone else. By December 1998, he was writing in her diary about a guy she had met at work, a man named Don Kleindienst who was 22 while he was as we mentioned 18. So little creepy I think, but nothing super out of the ordinary. That's not creepy at all. 22 and 18, I'm not the I'm not the, you know, pedophile activist here, but 22 and 18 is like a college senior and a college freshman. That's okay. It is like a college senior and a college freshman, except he wasn't in college. She was still very much in high school. Yeah, well, she should have joined college. But eighteen and twenty-two is not. It it's not the it's it's not the worst example of an age difference I've seen. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's super super weird. But I feel like if I saw a twenty-two-year-old man that's about to leave college with an eighteen-year-old that's still not in college, I would wonder. I would I would speculate about the intentions of the training two year old if I'm being honest. You you're being very judgy, but okay. No, I'm not judging at all. No, no. I think I think that'd be my first inclination. But obviously, if it was a healthy, nice relationship, I don't think I would care. Fine. Why don't you all let us know in the comments of the post? What do you think? <laughs> Don. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> this will no, be a raging hey, debate between Vyas Arya and being a pedo. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want this debate in the comment section. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, her diary entries continue, and now they feature Dawn. Her entry from the sixth of December, nineteen ninety-eight, reads: "Quote: What's the matter with me? Every time I close my eyes, I see my baby, but I keep on thinking about someone else. Dawn Kleindienst. Why? I don't know." Why? I do like him as a coworker plus also maybe as a friend, but I keep wanting to get closer to him. I don't know what's the matter with me. A part of me keeps me from Don because of Adnan. A part of me keeps thinking about Don. I'm going to have to get my thoughts straight. I do love Adnan, but today I kept on imagining Don over my body instead of Adnan. Don, 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 Don. End quote. <laughs> Ashura, one of the things that uh, distinguish a biography from an autobiography, um, mm-hmm. or at least a diary, right, is that a biography was written to be read, whereas an autobiography mm-hmm. wasn't, or at least a diary wasn't written to be read. It was written yeah. for the person that was writing it, and so it's your innermost, it's the deepest thoughts you have that weren't meant for the world, and so you can extract yeah. a lot about the person from the diaries and. Uh, to to see her write these thoughts, it's it's the layer of transparency between one human and another. It's truly surprising because we really know everything about her. This this book is her, and exactly um, to see her talk about these in such crude terms, it's it's refreshing, uh, and it's a little and it's um, relatable. Like I feel it's relatable, and I feel wrong. Like it's like peeking into yeah. somebody's brain without their into consent. Into someone's brain, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that feeling. It's it's beautifully written. Firstly, I think she was very self aware of her thoughts, and she was writing mm-hmm. them down regularly, which in a post her murder situation gives a lot of insight into a young person's mind and the things that were going on in her life. Um, yeah. But Aran actually eventually, he and Dawn started dating each other, regardless of how weird I might oh, find no. it. <laughs> They both started dating. They started meeting outside of school, hanging out in grocery store parking lots, that kind of thing. 
His friends found her quickly moving on from Adnan to this new guy a little suspicious. And they found Dawn a little suspicious too because they didn't know him from school. It was just Hay that met him at work. But I mean, we've all had friends make the exact same choices and it's not always our place to say. And his friends felt the same way. They kept their mouths shut about this. Either way, it seemed like Adnan and Hay were moving on and life continued. Life continued until January 13th, 1999, just a few weeks after He and Dawn had started dating. On this day, His brother Young got a call from a daycare center asking him to come pick his little cousin sister up. Young was shocked. He almost didn't know what to say to that call. He was supposed to pick their cousin up. How irresponsible of her he might have thought in that moment. Or maybe he thought, that's weird, I wonder where she is. Regardless of what he thought in that moment though, not for a second did it cross his mind that he might be in danger. Young went and picked his cousin up and the entire family waited for he to return home. Her friends paged her because back then pagers were a thing, but yeah. she didn't respond. Maybe her pager lost battery or she left it in her car, her friends thought. The Lee family waited and waited and when the sun had set but he still hadn't come home from school, the family alerted Baltimore police. The police started by doing what they always do, calling everyone close to He. To call those numbers, they retrieved He's diary, the one from which I've been reading all these excerpts. They called her friends, a bunch of whom said they last saw her leaving school after school was over, which was at 2.15. This time... 2.15 is key, so remember it. After calling the friends, the police came across a page in Hay's diary with Dawn's name all over it. And on that page was a phone number in the corner. Assuming it to be Dawn's, the police called the number only to have Adnan pick up. Adnan, unfortunately, was high on weed when the police called. The police no. asked him when he last saw Hay and he said 2.15 as well, right when school ended. But Adnan also said he was supposed to get a ride back home from Hay that day. But he got stopped at school for longer than he was supposed to. And when he got out, he noticed Hay was nowhere to be seen. He assumed she got tired of waiting and left. Adnan asks the cops on the other line, is a police report going to be made? And the cop says, yes, it will. Adnan says he only asked that because he thought he would be in so much trouble with her mom because the police were now involved, not for a second assuming that something bad had happened to her. The police ask Adnan why this number of his was in a recent diary entry in his diary and Adnan tells them that he had just bought a new phone the day before he disappeared and had called to give her his new number. After this call, the police then called Dawn, but Dawn wouldn't pick up. Call after call after call went unanswered, after which he finally picked up at 1.30am in the night. So we're less than 24 hours uh, after her official disappearance and the mm-hmm. police is calling um, relentlessly until midnight. That, that's until I mean, midnight, that's pretty yeah. good police work. That's pretty good police right? work. Right, usually they have that weird kind of stipulation of we won't file a report, we won't take any action until 24 hours have passed. But they clearly acted swiftly here. 
Right, and that easy dismissal of a young person, oh, she might have yeah, run off, which is away. understandable. Yeah, again, exactly. again, whenever we make these oversimplified generalizations about police actions, it's because the majority of the times it's actually a young kid who just ran away. Um, but to uh-huh. see them, you know, be you know, be relentlessly at it is reassuring. I agree, and as a consequence of their relentless calling, Dawn picked up at one thirty. On this 1.30 a.m. call, Dawn tells the police he had last seen Hay the day before she disappeared. The two had hung out together and had plans to hang out together the day she disappeared too, but she never showed up. The cops asked Dawn what he had been doing that day, the day that he had disappeared, the day they were calling him. He said he was at work all day and he had timesheets and an alibi who saw him at work to confirm it. He said he came back from work at 7 p.m. Right, but like, did the police call him between 7pm and 1.30am? Absolutely, yep. So why didn't, like, is there any alibi for not receiving the call then? There is no explanation. And we don't know why he didn't pick up the police's calls between 7pm and 1.30am. But Dawn had a solid alibi, timesheets from work, people at work who saw him. In fact, because of Dawn's strong alibi, we don't even know if the cops spoke to him about him not picking up the call previously in 1999 or not. But we'll come back to Dawn later. So along with the time 2.15, which is the time that school got over, also keep Dawn in mind. After Dawn, the police were done with their basic step number one of the investigation, but with no idea where he was. The day turned into days and Baltimore was hit with a snowstorm. The schools shut down, the roads closed, and everyone was in their homes hoping for a sign from Hay. In fact, the day that Hay went missing was the last day everyone went to school before the snowstorm. Then came around January 15th, two days after Hay had gone missing. It was the day of Hay's best friend's birthday. She had even noted it in her diary. Her friends say they were actually waiting for her to show up to the party. They kept hoping, peering over every new person that walked in, only to be disappointed when he didn't show up. She was so excited for this party. She had been helping her friends plan it for months. When she didn't show up that day, that's when it finally hit her friends that something might be wrong. But again, that day turned into days and those days turned into weeks. On the 6th of February, the police organized a dog-led search across the high school. But again, nothing showed up. There was no sign of Hay. Little did they know, however, Hay was going to show up not because of the police's search, but because of a former flasher, a man named Alonzo (laughs) Sellers. Alright, before I get into that, for those (laughs) of you who don't know, a flasher is someone who literally reveals their body parts in public to poor people who don't wish to see their body parts like that. And but he helped what... in finding Hay? Yes, you'll find out how. So, Alonzo, as I just mentioned, had previously been charged for indecent exposure where he stood naked in front of a woman's car who reported him. But, as you asked Aryan, how did Hay come to the police because of Alonzo? On the 9th of February, slightly less than a month after Hay went missing, Alonzo was driving his car, going to a school where he worked as a maintenance man. While he was driving, he said he was drinking a 22-ounce Budweiser and suddenly felt a really strong urge to pee. He noticed he was driving in an area with forests and shrubs and trees all around him, so naturally, he stopped his car on the side and walked out to find a private spot. Quote, I had to go to the bathroom, so I pulled over and I went further in the woods so no one could see me. 
I walked around through the bushes and everything and I got back that way and I was getting ready to urinate when I looked down and I seen something that looked like hair something was covered by the dirt I looked real good again and that's when I seen what looked like a foot end quote Ashwarya A you trying to mimic a rural american His, accent is by far yes. the funniest things you've done on this podcast but secondly Great. and it's I'm glad. slightly slightly fishy how deep in the forest did this man go to uh-huh. take a piss that's a significant claim that we discuss later we'll come back to this right like as as an indian um who's grown up in india uh-huh. and public urination is literally all around us people don't venture into a forest they find the closest wall um so there is no shame involved <laughs> as such but how deep do you walk into a forest uh-huh. late in the night to take a piss yeah that's fishy even for the usran a lot of people believe alonzo didn't actually stumble on the body the way he claims he has but to his credit alonzo promptly called 911 and the police discovered the body of what was clearly a female in the crime scene photos you can see one of the officers on the spot holding up her hand her skin isn't pink anymore it's white and not like pale white it looks like someone has painted over it that's how much her body has started to decompose in her hand you can see two rings in her fingers and her nails have turned blue After taking the body to the coroner's office and calling Hay's family for identification, everyone's worst nightmare was confirmed. Hay was dead, and she had been dead for what seemed like a long time. An autopsy was conducted, and the reason for her death was homicide. It wasn't an accidental death in the snowstorm or whatever. She had been manually strangled, meaning someone had done it with their own hands, not a pillow or a rope. Someone had walked up to her, attacked her, held her neck in their hands and pressed till she was no longer alive. There were no traces of sperm in her body indicating she had not been raped. Nothing was stolen from her body. There were no drug traces in her body indicating she was conscious when she was killed. This was a cold-blooded murder, the reason for which was not yet making sense. Now the police had to begin a different kind of investigation. Not a where could he have gone and who saw her last investigation, but a who had a reason to kill he investigation. And right off the bat, a few suspects immediately jumped out to the cops. First, obviously, the man who found her body. A prior history of a crime also involving a woman and a sort of sketchy story about how he found his body, the police knew they needed to question him. The second suspect was Don. He was his current boyfriend and so obviously a suspect purely because of that. He was also older than her, making their relationship a little suspicious to people around her. But other than that, he had an alibi for being at work the entire time. The third suspect was the most glaringly obvious one, Adnan. Up until the point that Hay's body was found though, Adnan hadn't given the police any obvious reasons to be suspicious of him. There was obviously the reason that he was her ex-boyfriend and she was now dating someone else, so the entire jealousy angle existed, but other than that there was nothing concrete. Adnan was a well-liked young man and it was clear that he had cared for Hay very deeply. All of that changed however when the police got two phone calls in succession. The first one was an anonymous woman who told the police to look more closely at Adnan. The second one was from Adnan's friend, 
a man named Jay Wiles who was 16 at the time, so two years younger than both Adnan and Hay. Adnan and Jay were never really best friends or even close friends, but Adnan was very close to Jay's girlfriend, Stephanie. This is how Jay and Adnan got introduced. Plus, Jay was a weed dealer and Adnan liked to smoke up, not a lot but often enough, and so the two became sort of friends. When Jay called the police, he told them that Adnan had killed Hay and that he had helped Adnan bury Hay's body too. Jay's story at Adnan's trial was this. Adnan called Jay at 10:45 a.m. on the 13th of January, the day Hay disappeared, asking if he could come over. Jay says yes and Adnan shows up an hour later to Jay's house. At his house both of them get into Adnan's car and go to Baltimore's Westview Mall where in the parking lot of the mall Adnan tells Jay that he's going to kill Hay for breaking up with him. Adnan tells Jay to drop him off at school and pick him up later. Jay drops Adnan off at school and keeps his car. Then at 3:40 p.m. Adnan tells Jay to meet him at an abandoned road in the city. This is after school had ended at 2:15 if you remember. Adnan shows up at this abandoned road in Hay's car and shows Jay Hay's body in the car's trunk. At 4:15, they both together drop off Hay's car at a random parking lot. Then Jay drops Adnan off for track practice at school. And then at 6:45 p.m., Adnan calls Jay to pick him up from practice. At 7:15 p.m., after eating McDonald's and after Adnan had already received that phone call from the police looking for Hay, they go to Jay's house to get a shovel and a pick and return to Hay's car and then bury Hay's body in Leakin Park. All right, Ashura, I have a bajillion questions, but let me just boil down what I think happened and correct me if I'm wrong. So, the uh-huh. two men meet in the morning when Adnan tells Jay he's going to kill Hay. He gives Jay his mm-hmm. car, Jay drops him off of school, and after school the two men meet at an abandoned road where Adnan has his body and he's already killed her. Adnan correct. then goes to track practice. Track is basically athletics. Jay picks him up. the two enjoy some you know happy meals and they bury her not so happy body is that correct correct exactly so this was his story when adnan was on trial right i i mean i have so many questions and i'm sure you'll get to them but one that stands out to me is why would somebody ask a so so friend help in committing mm-hmm. murder and the other question would be and you don't need to answer them immediately but i i, I do want to put uh-huh. them out into the ether of true crime questions is <laughs> yeah. uh, why would you know i don't see any incentive for jay to embroil himself in a murder investigation uh, by making him an accomplice like he has nothing to gain by fessing this up so maybe he is telling the truth Those are two things that stick out to me too. The first question that you asked is why would Adnan ask someone who's not even such a good friend to help in a murder? Exactly. If I was to play devil's advocate, my only response to that is Jay was sort of a shady character. He was running mm. a weed business outside his grandmother's home. He was clearly running in circles where drugs were common. If I had to come up with a response gun to my head that response would be that Adnan picked Jay because they were firstly sort of friends and Jay kind of had this shady kind of illegal business situation going on. Hmm. What about the second one? 
So your second question is why Jay would ever embroil himself in a situation like this? And the answer to that is I don't know. He just comes forward and tells the cops all of this, like at the drop of a hat. He knows he's implicating himself to a certain degree, but I don't know. I in which no case, it feels like he's telling the truth. But but then I in mean, which, yep, the, exactly. my op- yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is no reason for him to lie about this when he is very directly involving himself in this murder plot. But Aryan, this entire story I've told you up until this point, this entire timeline was the story that Jay gave when Adnan was on trial. Before that, Jay had been interviewed by the police multiple times. And in many of those times, his story had changed. Sometimes Jay would say that Adnan met him at a parking lot and then they went to Leakin Park to bury Hay's body. But other times he said that Adnan showed him Hay's body in a Best Buy parking lot. In a different interview, he said he met Adnan at the abandoned road and then went to drop off the car at the Best Buy parking lot. Then Jay tells a publication named The Intercept that Adnan actually showed him Hay's body outside his grandmother's house. According to Jay, he didn't tell this version before because he didn't want to involve his grandmother. He initially says he saw his body outside his grandmother's house at 7pm, then later says he maybe saw it closer to midnight. He also changed his story about where Adnan told him he killed Hay. First, he said Adnan told him he killed Hay at the Patapsco State Park. And a different time, he says Adnan told him he killed Hay on an abandoned street where they were supposed to meet. Initially, he said Adnan first told him he wanted to kill Hay the morning of the murder. Then, in a 2014 interview with The Intercept, he said Adnan mentioned wanting to kill Hay a week before the murder actually took place. The interviewer asks him, When did Adnan first talk to you about hurting Hay? He says, quote, It was at least a week before she died, when he found out she was either cheating on him or leaving him. We were in the car, we were riding, smoking. He just started opening up. It's in the evening after school, just normal conversations like, I think she's fucking around. I'm going to kill that bitch, man. Nothing real pointed or anything. Not like I know his name or I caught her. But I thought he was just shooting off like everyone else shoots off when they're mad at their girlfriend. He never said anything like, hey, what gauge gun should I use? Or how many minutes am I supposed to hold somebody under the water for? Or is there a statute of limitation on murder? I thought he was just blowing off steam and bullshitting. I thought at worst he'd throw a rock through her window or something. Normal high school, I'm mad at her and I'll scratch her car sort of stuff. I had never known anybody who had killed anybody else. So there's no way I could have known. But look, if we start speculating what he was thinking far ahead, I don't know. He might have just been bullshitting at the time. I don't know what happened, what occurred between them that day. I don't know if she said something he couldn't handle and he went off the edge or if he had been seriously speculating about it. I don't feel comfortable drawing conclusions like that. You can't start drawing conclusions like that. End quote. So clearly, not only has Jay's story changed in the aftermath of Hay's death, Mm. but also 15 years later in 2014. Despite all of these inconsistencies, however, Adnan was charged with homicide of Heyman Lee because of Jay's story. Why? Because Jay's story was broadly confirmed by a whole host of other evidence. For example, it was confirmed by both Jay and Adnan's cell phone records. AT&T's cell phone tower placed Adnan in Leakin Park on the 13th, the day Hay was killed. If you don't remember, Leakin Park is where Hay's body was found a month after she disappeared. 
Their phone records also prove that Adnan and Jay went to Best Buy together, that Jay dropped Adnan off at school for their practice and all of the things in that timeline. There were also Adnan's fingerprints inside his body, but that's not saying much considering they were dating for months before she died. Then there was Jay's friend, a girl named Jennifer, who testified saying that Jay had told her about Adnan killing Hay and Jay told her that he had seen Hay's body. Then there is the last big piece of evidence, where Adnan was after school ended that day. Remember, I asked you to keep the time 2.15 in mind. That is the time school ended and people saw Hay for the last time as she walked to her car. Then, Adnan had track practice at 3, which his cell phone records cannot confirm because, and this is another weird detail, Adnan left his phone with Jay that entire day. According to cell phone records I mentioned previously, he was dead by 2.36pm. So this is that 21-minute window for which Adnan needed an alibi. The time between 2.15 and 2.36, the time between when school ended and the time between when cops say he died. If Adnan had an alibi for after school ended, he could have not killed Hay. But Adnan had no alibi. Adnan had no alibi during trial or during interrogation. He didn't even himself properly remember the details of where he was for those 21 minutes six weeks ago on that day. And then there is a call by a friend of Adnan's named Nisha. She said she called Adnan at 3.36pm. And this has been confirmed by cell phone records. She did actually call him. Nisha says when she called, she spoke to both Jay and Adnan because they were both together. Now, why is this a problem for Adnan? He said he was in school by three for track practice and wasn't with Jay at all. Whether or not Adnan was with Jay can't be confirmed using phone records because according to Adnan, his phone was with Jay. So, if they were together, Adnan lied about being at practice and their phones were in the same location and so were the two men. If Adnan was telling the truth and was really at practice, their phones were still together because Adnan left his phone with Jay. The story of what went down in those 21 minutes and after it is the story of the state's case against Adnan. As Adnan has said himself, his case lived and died in those 21 minutes. Baltimore police arrested Adnan on February 28, 1999 and charged him with first-degree murder based on Jay's story. Adnan's family hired a defense attorney named Christina Gutierrez to represent him, but she failed. The trial began in January of 2000 and lasted six weeks. On February 25, 2005, the jury found Adnan guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment and robbery. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. Adnan's family fired Christina Gutierrez for completely botching up his case. And watch she did. Adnan spent the next 23 years in prison, more than half his life, but he clung on to his innocence. His story, the lack of an alibi for him and frankly slightly shady behaviour on his part divided the world into for Adnan and against Adnan. I have never seen a case with such varying public opinion about who did it. But... This episode was just all of the things against Adnan, the things that seem inconsistent and off about the story. There is just as much that makes you go, hmm, maybe he didn't do it. For that, come back next week for part two of the murder of Heyman Lee.